At Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. That means your priorities are Vanguard's too. So whether you're planning for retirement or trying to save up for your next big adventure, Vanguard will work alongside you to set personalized investment goals. That's the value of ownership. All investing is subject to risk. Vanguard is owned by its funds, which are owned by Vanguard's fund shareholder clients. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Kyle Pitts is the biggest X factor for the Falcons' success in 2023 as their offense will go as far as they will carry him. And despite what you heard, oh yes, Kyle Pitts can carry them very far. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family, your team every day. And guys, we thank everyone that makes this illustrious podcast their first listen each and every day. Shout out to the everydayers that are here each and every day checking out the podcast. Follow in their footsteps, follow their blueprint to life success by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So we are continuing locked on Desmond Ritter week, but we are talking mostly about the tight end position today. And we'll spend a lot of today's conversation talking about Kyle Pitts um, and why he's a big part of, you know, this team's potential for success in 2023. You know, I'm not, worried about what Kyle Pitts is going to do this season. We'll talk about that a little bit later and on why, but you know, essentially he was very quietly a top five tight end last year. Um, but you know, one of the things we want to start off the conversation is piggybacking on something Desmond Ritter said earlier this week when he went on good morning football and talked about how, you know, the additions of B. John Robinson and others is going to lead to this team being a lot more explosive. That's their goal is to be more explosive and obviously, Bijan Robinson is going to help this team be a lot more explosive on the ground. We talked about this uh, quite a bit at the end of last season, where we talked about how, as good as Tyler Algier was, you know, there are plays where it's like, you know, Tyler Algier gets 20 yards, a player like Bijan Robinson can get 40 yards. When Tyler Algier gets 40 yards, a player like Bijan Robinson is going to get 60 yards or take it to the house or whatever it is. But, you know, while explosive run plays are, are very nice, you know, it would be nice to get a little bit more explosive pass plays. Now, it's not to sit here and say that, you know, one is more advantageous advantageous than the other. All the data and research I've done over, you know, the last decade when it comes to generating those explosive 20 plus yard plays, when it comes to outcomes, it doesn't really matter how you get the play. You know, all of them, regardless of their whether they're run passes or, you know, special teams, defense, explosive play, you know, explosive plays, field field flipping plays is really what it's about and in defense those are turnovers special teams those are you know big kickoff returns big punt returns doesn't matter how you get them if you can flip the field regardless of how you do it it's going to be in dramatically increase the probability that you put points on the board on that given drive but we know that 
you know, throwing the ball and generating explosive plays through the air is a much more common in the NFL than it is on runs. Basically, over the last three years, um, for every 20 plus yard run play that has been generated by an NFL offense, there are five and a half 20 plus yard pass plays. So there's your ratio there. And you know, the Falcons were already near the top of the league in terms of generating explosive run plays. They had 17 last year, which was tied for seventh. Uh, if you extrapolate it based off of the number of attempts, it was 11th in the NFL. Uh, and they were uh, 30th in the NFL in terms of explosive 20 plus yard plays through the air with only 37. But when you extrapolate per attempt or per drop back, really, they become about league average, slightly above league average uh, a year ago. So there's a lot more room for growth in the air is basically the point I'm getting at. Um, but they didn't really add a whole lot of explosiveness at the wide receiver and tight end positions, right? You know, Mac Holland, Scotty Miller, John o. Smith combined for 14 explosive plays last year, but it's kind of a net loss because Alameda Zacchaeus, Demir Bird, Michael Pruitt, and Anthony Ferkser combined for 15 explosive plays last year, not to mention the four explosive runs that Marcus Mariota had last year. So you do have a net loss of explosive plays just purely off of, of personnel, right? And the changes the Falcons have gone. Uh, and so, therefore, I, I think for the Falcons, when it comes to being more explosive, you know, in addition to adding B. John Robinson, and some of these other pieces, it's really more they're looking for internal growth than necessary external growth that are going to come in uh, and, and completely revamp this offense. And, you know, while I think they're hopeful that, you know, players like Scotty Miller, who, you know, was very explosive in 2020 with the Bucks, and John o. Smith was very explosive with the Titans in 2019, they can get back to those ways. You know, again, I think it's going to be internal growth from players like Drake London and Kyle Pitts. And Drake London had the Team high, 10 explosive plays last year. Six of those came after Kyle Pitts' injury. Four of those came in the final four games where Desmond Ritter was the starter. So it's, you know, it's tough to read a little bit. Do you, do you assume that he's going to just pick up where he left off? Or is the player that we saw in the first half of the season more likely to be? Obviously, for, you know, obvious reasons, you know, I'm hoping uh, you know, that we'll see more second half Drake London and then first half Drake London. And so that will lead to him being, you know, similar to what Roddy White was throughout his career, which is a guy that can get you 15 plus explosive plays each and every year. Um, you know, probably not the, the, I think Julio averaged like 25 explosive plays a year. So he's not going to be Julio. I, I don't think so. You know, I think there was only one receiver in the league last year. I think it was Justin Jefferson that hit 25 last year. But, um, you know, I, I do think the biggest growth potential internally is from Kyle Pitts, right? Uh, in addition to Drake London, you know, and, and Kyle Pitts only had five explosive plays last year after a rookie season where he had 16. Um, and we know that dr that dip was mostly on the quarterback. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but you know, Kyle Pitts was the Falcons main deep threat last year. Uh, and, and given, you know, who the Falcons picked up this off season, I expect Kyle Pitts to be their main deep threat again this year, about 25% of his targets were 20 plus yard throws. That was the third highest percentage among tight ends in the league last year. So there is a lot of growth opportunity there. Uh, we saw Desmond Ritter's deep ball, not be the greatest last year in his four starts. We're hopeful that he'll be more than that. We were hopeful that, you know, uh, that, that would be one of the areas that he would improve upon Marcus Mariota, who was at the bottom of the league in terms of completion percentage on 20 plus yard throws at 27%. Well, Desmond Ritter only completed 20%, right? And so that's going to be something that he's going to need to work on. That's something that he was good at times in his college career, some years not so good at. So that is going to be a question, a legit question mark. That's probably the one question mark that 
I personally have about Desmond Ritter's game. Will he be an effective, you know, be able to ex- exploit all three levels of a defense, right? We know he can do the short stuff. We know he can do the intermediate stuff. Can he do the vertical deep stuff, right? And, you know, I liken it a little bit to Matt Ryan because I didn't think Matt Ryan was ever the greatest deep ball passer either. But you saw a clear uptick in his uh, efficiency when it came to throwing the deep ball and his accuracy throwing the deep ball, Um when he had Julio Jones on the seat, right? It, to me, like you look at Matt Ryan's like first five years in the NFL, uh, and you know he was had like one year, I think, t- two thousand eight, where he was like an above average deep passer, and then you s- look at it starting in twenty fourteen, which was Julio Jones's first peak season, uh, coming back from that twenty thirteen year where he got hurt. Um, and the next six years, and then basically over those next six years, Matt Ryan was like a top 10, top 15 deep passer every single year with 2017, I think being the exception there. Um, and it's like, I don't think that's a coincidence that like throwing to Julio Jones makes you a better deep ball thrower. Right. Um, and, and so it's about crafting an environment that's conducive to deep passing and that's getting vertical stretch receivers in the building. And that to me, uh, is not something that the Falcons have really done outside of Kyle Pitts, outside of Scotty Miller. We'll, we'll see if if they can do that. But if they if you do wind up doing that, and then the quarterback still can't hit the throws, then you you clearly know okay, it's not because this guy you know isn't a, a good deep threat. It's because the quarterback is the problem, right? And so I don't know if the Falcons have built that. That's basically what I'm saying. So we're hoping that that connection between Desmond Ritter and Kyle Pitts, you know, blossoms in the same ways that we saw late in the season, that connection between Desmond Ritter and, and Drake London. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that you, because of that, you know, that connection, you saw a big uptick in the explosive plays that Drake London had not in addition to the fact that there's no Kyle Pitts in the presence. And so someone had to stretch defenses and, and it was all up to Drake London and he was able to produce. So, you know, that gives you hope, right? That's the reason it gives you hope that gives you optimism. But of course, time will tell on that issue. But, you know, talking about Kyle Pitts, you know, I think there was a recent episode of Mina Kimes' podcast. They had Robert Mays on. They were talking about like the players that matter for each NFC team. And I think one of them, I can't remember which one, talked about Kyle Pitts. And I think that Kyle Pitts Ritter connection is probably the most important unknown for this team that is going to determine their success this year, right? The stronger that rapport between Desmond Ritter and Kyle Pitts is, I think the better the season the Falcons wind up having because it's threefold, right? It's the deep passing. It's the efficiency on third downs. It's the red zone efficiency as well. Those are three areas that Kyle Pitts can have the biggest impact for this football team. And that's really what this team's identity is built around, right? They're going to be you know, one of the best run teams, they want to be efficient on third downs, they want to be efficient in the red zone, and then they want to be able to dial up an explosive play every now and then on a semi-consistent basis. And if they check all four of those box, this offense is going to be really hard to stop for a lot of defense because that's exactly what the 2020 Titans were under Arthur Smith. They were second in the league that year in rushing yards. They were fifth in third down efficiency. They were second in red zone efficiency, and they were 12th in total explosive plays, 14th in, you know, explosive pass plays per attempt and third in, in explosive explosive run plays per attempt. Um, and that was a team that wound up finishing fourth in the league in scoring that year. That was a team that was fourth in the league in, in offensive DVOA, according to Football Outsiders. And that's a legit top five offense if you can check all four of those boxes in the ways that the 2020 Titans did. Now, I don't expect the Falcons are going to be that type of unit this year, right? Right Now, I don't think they're super far away from that because they're like top 15 in most, if not all of those categories, the run game, the third down, the red zone uh, and the explosiveness. But, you know, it's to me, it's a jump to go from 14 to two. Right. 
Uh, and, and especially given how young this team and relatively inexperienced they are at some key positions on the offense, I would not put those expectations on them this year. I think it's going to take a year or two for them to gel into that type of unit. But it goes back to something we talked about earlier on the podcast this week was just like, this is phase two of their rebuilding process. And that type of unit that we're talking that is comparable to the 2020 Titans is kind of phase three. Now, I know there's probably some of you out there that are saying like, you know, the 2020 Titans, you know, wh- who aspires to be the 2020 Titans? But if you're one of those people, then you're just wrong. Well, you know, the, again, no one's going to sit here and tell you the 2020 Titans was the greatest offense ever, but that is a team that can be a very good team, right? That is an offense that scored more points than the number two offense in the league this past year, the Philadelphia Eagles. That is an offense that has outscored you know, the Patrick Mahomes led Chiefs in three out of the would would have outscored three out of the uh, five years that Patrick Mahomes has been the starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. So anybody who's out here putting out there this notion that like the 2020 Titans are not something to aspire to, that that type of top five caliber offense is not aspirational is wrong is basically the, the point. But, you know, to round out our conversation about Kyle Pitts, the long you know, the short version of the long story is that he has a significant potential impact to transform this team, right? That not only from the explosiveness uh, potential that he brings to the offense. And again, if it's not clear, Kyle Pitts has the potential to be one of the most explosive and one of the most dynamic weapons in the NFL. Of course, you guys all know that because that's, you know, why he was the fourth overall selection uh, two years ago. But he also has the potential to check those efficiency boxes and be, you know, one of the top you know receivers in the league when it comes to third downs and, and red zone efficiency. Uh, and so if you're maxing out Kyle Pitts in those areas, then you're probably maxing out this offense is basically the point uh, I'm going to get uh, to. But we'll continue talking more about Kyle Pitts and talk about, you know, the notion of him having a disappointing 2022 is probably a little bit BS. There's some stats that show that if Mariota had hit him on a couple of these deep passes that we're talking about, like no one would be sitting here calling Pitts' uh, 2022 season a disappointment, that a handful of plays completely shifts the narrative uh, for Kyle Pitts' 2022 season. And that is going to lead me and hopefully you guys to buy back all the Kyle Pitts stock that so many people were selling last year. But before we get into all of that, guys, you know, head on over to FanDuel, make that fast break for the NBA playoffs. The Western Conference Finals are over. The Eastern Conference Finals aren't quite over. We'll see, you know, if Boston can put up a fight to extend these things. And if they do, then head on over to FanDuel and make sure you use your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That means you get $1,000 back in bonus bets, even if your first bet doesn't win. And whether you want to bet on the Eastern Conference Finals, whether you want to bet uh, starting next week on the actual finals, you want to bet on the upcoming NBA draft, or you know, you're know you not into basketball, you want to bet on Major League Baseball, football, any sport that you can think of, you can head on over to FanDuel, number one sports book in America. All you got to do is visit FanDuel.com slash locked on, and you'll get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So, you know, there's a lot of talk last year about, oh, Kyle Pitts regressed and all these things, but we, we all recognize and like, I'm not one of these people that tends to blame all the Falcons problems on Marcus Mariota, uh, but I will blame this particular issue on Marcus Mariota. This is the one area where I will back up the truck and run over uh, Marcus Mariota, throw him under the bus. Um, you know, his inability to hit the deep ball and that lack of rapport that he had with Kyle Pitts 
left a lot of yards on the field, right? And then you couple that with Pitts, you know, getting hurt and missing 40% of the season also, you know, led to a lot of this narrative that Kyle Pitts was bad last year or he regressed last year. Now, when I went back and looked at all 14 of Mariota's deep throws to Kyle Pitts and give or take a couple of yards, you know, if you count all the air yards that the, the ball traveled, it's roughly about 400 yards that were left on the field on all of Mar- on 13 of Mariota's misses on those 20 plus yard throws. Now, Mariota hit one out of those 14 throws, uh, which is well below the league average. About league average is about 40 percent hit rate on those deep passes. So let's say uh, if he was average, he would have hit six out of those 14 passes. So he missed about five throws. And, you know, you do the math on that. That's roughly about 150 of those 400 yards that were left on the field just from Mariota not being a league average quarterback when it came to connecting with Kyle Pitts. And if you were to tack on those five catches and 150 yards onto Kyle Pitts' totals through, you know, 10 games, that would have been 33 catches for 506 yards. That's an average of 15.3 yards per reception, which is slightly more than the 15.1 yards per reception that he averaged in his quote-unquote historic rookie season. And then if you extrapolate, uh, you know, the totals from those 10 games or really nine and a half games because he got hurt uh, in opening drive in the third quarter uh, against the Bears, uh, to a, if you extrapolate it to a full 17-game season, you would have found Kyle Pitts having 106 targets, 59 catches, 905 yards, 15.3 yards per reception, and three touchdowns. Now, those numbers right there would have been fifth among tight ends and tight in targets, eighth in receptions, third in yards, and 19th in touchdowns. Now, obviously, you know, the one set that stands out that is different than the other ones is, is the touchdowns. And we know that the red zone stuff, we've been talking about it for two years now, that, that still needs to get sorted out with Kyle Pitts uh, moving forward. But, you know, and I, I'm sure some of you are like, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Like, you know, yeah, you can say that about Kyle Pitts. and But, like, the things – Kyle Pitts can't control whether his quarterback is overthrowing him on footballs when he's wide open on deep passes. And he can't really control if he gets hurt, right? Like, I mean, I guess he has, like – two percent control over that but if he had complete control over that he wouldn't have got hurt right so it's one of those things where like i feel like the things that kyle pitts could control for he did very well at the things that he could not control for quarterback play and in injury luck uh you know were the things that let him down and the fact that kyle pitts was able to basically be on pace to put up like top five numbers top 10 numbers uh, across the board of the tight end position on a team that runs the ball as much as the falcons do to me, is again a testament to Kyle Pitts. So, you know, anybody who's pushing this narrative that, you know, Kyle Pitts is a bad pick or the wrong pick or a wasted pick or he's overrated, you know, that's that's just people pushing an agenda. It's still people that are butthurt about, you know, the Falcons not taking their favorite plan, uh, you know, two years ago, and they're just butthurt about it. Uh, but, like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, oh, Kyle Pitts was incredible in 2022. Sure, it's a disappointing year in a lot of ways. But again, most of the ways that is disappointing were not things that Kyle Pitts could control. And so basically what I'm sitting here saying is nobody should be selling their Kyle Pitts stock at this point in time. Right. And I think a lot of it is due to the fact that Kyle Pitts, because he was the highest tight end drafted ever. Right. And because he was filling in the shoes immediately left by, you know, one of the biggest voids you could possibly leave in Julio Jones. The expectations for Kyle Pitts coming out of the gates were like impossibly high. But when you actually look at the success and the production that he's had at age 21 and 22, basically the only tight end in like NFL history that has been more productive in that span is Rob Gronkowski, who I personally think is the greatest tight end ever. Right. And so it's like when you look at like Kyle Pitts is like ahead of Tony Gonzalez, he's like ahead of Jason Witten, you know, and it's all it's, it's this thing where it's like 
there's this impossible standard that he's set up for when it's just like this guy is on pace to basically be a hall of famer and yet people are basically like oh he's he's a bad pick because you know mark it's mario out you know overthrew him uh, you know a half half dozen times too many and uh you know he got hurt uh, uh on on a low hit uh, from what who Eddie Jackson or whatever uh, or whatever and then people are like oh he's bad you know and it's like he's expected to do things at 22 at a position that we know takes time for guys to hit in the league that you know he's expected to do at 22 that other guys didn't do until they were like 25 or 27 and because he's not doing them at 22 when you know Travis Kelsey didn't do it at 27 or George Kittle didn't do it at 25 and it's like well he's bad because he didn't he's not doing this thing and it's like you know, if you had held those guys to that same standard, you would have been out on those guys long before you were out on Kyle Pitts. Uh, so, again, if you're selling Kyle Pitts stock, I will buy it all back. And in a couple of years, I will be laughing all the way to the bank in, in why I have, you know, I bought this Hall of Fame tight end for super cheap. So, again, anybody out there that's pushing, you know, Kyle Pitts is bad or, or Kyle Pitts was stunk last year, that is a person pushing a narrative. They don't know football. That's what I will say. So we'll leave that aside and we'll talk about the other tight ends on the Falcons roster because I think you should also be buying Parker Hesse and Jonu Smith stock. You know, we're talking about this positionless football, and I think, you know, those two guys are integral to the style of football as well as, you know, guys like B. John Robinson when it comes to playing this position of football. And we'll get into that to wrap up today's Locked on Falcons, guys. But, uh, you know, for my everydayers that are out here listening every single day on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, tomorrow's episode probably will be a Q&A and maybe we'll talk about some of the developments in OTAs or isn't a whole lot to talk about in OTAs at this point in time since you know they're glorified walkthroughs and seven on sevens at this point but we'll see if something emerges in the next 24 hours that is worthy of discussion uh as well as it's an opportunity for you guys to send in your questions via Twitter via Facebook at Lockdown Falcons via email lockdownfalcons at mail.com or you can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel or you can hit me up in the Lockdown Falcons Discord a link in the description below so, um, you know, one of the things I did, you know, in the lead up to this locked on Desmond Ritter week was go back and watch, uh, you know, the last four games of the season and, and particularly chart like the first opening game scripts, the first 15, 20 plays for all four of those games. And one thing kind of stood out to me was how often the Falcons were utilizing 13 personnel, especially against the Saints. Now, the, the next week against the Ravens, they use less of it. And then basically against the Bucks and, and the Cardinals, they didn't use any of it. And I think part of it was due to it not being that effective. Uh, and some of that is owed to, you know, Parker Hesse, Michael Pruitt, and, and, and Anthony Ferkser probably are not going to be, you know, the ideal standard as that 13 tight end, especially when you compare it to who the Falcons will potentially field in that uh, grouping. And 13 personnel, by the way, guys, is three tight end sets. Uh, you know, and now you have Kyle Pitts, a healthy Kyle Pitts, a John Lewis Smith, and Parker Hesse as your main three tight ends when you go to that 13 uh, personnel. And, and part of me wonders, going back to, you know, conversations we had at the end of last year, which is, you know, seeing Arthur Smith, you know, throw the ball more with Desmond Ritter and being a little bit more of a balanced offense. And, and, and a lot of us wondering, okay, is this the true version of the offense that Arthur Smith wants to run? And so because the Falcons were came out of that bye week running a lot of, you know, three tight end looks, it makes me wonder if that's the true offense that the Falcons want to run. And I, and it makes sense why, you know, John o. Smith was, you know, technically the first uh, offseason addition that they announced, although, you know, there's some, um, you know, 
randomness to that, but it, it's all part of the positionless football stuff, right? And we saw how often the Falcons moved Parker Hesse around, and I'm sure some of you guys caught a couple of weeks ago when we did our depth chart breakdown, and I had listed Parker Hesse as a, a roster cornerstone player. It was a joke, but it is like, in a way, it's, like, it's not that crazy a joke because like the way that they utilize Parker Hesse and his ability to line up at fullback and tight end is integral to I think the versatility and flexibility that Arthur Smith wants to have in the offense and so even though if Parker Hesse from a production standpoint isn't a roster cornerstone I do think he is kind of like a cornerstone when it comes to how the Falcons want to play in the same ways that like Patrick DeMarco was when Kyle Shanahan was here even if Patrick DeMarco was only you know I remember people saying like oh he plays like 30% of the snaps he's not that important you guys all know that uh you know that's blasphemous here on the Lockdown Falcons podcast but you you get what I'm saying like Parker Hesse is that type of player I think John Smith also has that potential to be that type of player I think we'll see you know, a, a dozen or more times where we'll see John o. Smith line up in the fullback. You probably won't see him lead blocking a ton in that role. They'll, they'll dabble with him in that role, but I think primarily you'll often see him lined up in the backfield. And those are going to be instances where he'll be a pass catcher, where he'll run a real route, he'll leak over the middle or something like that. They'll run a screen to him or something like that. And earlier this week on Twitter, I compared John o. Smith to Kyle Juszczyk, the 49ers fullback. And the context of why I made that comparison was, you know, I was talking on Twitter about like the Falcons need to upgrade a, at wide receiver and, and JJ Ortega Whiteside is not necessarily that upgrade. And some people were like, well, they got John o. Smith and he'll he'll fill the shoes. And it's like, well, John's role in, in, in Tennessee was not as a guy that can move the chains on third downs and be that, you know, go to pass catcher. Right. You know, he, when it came to third downs in Tennessee, you look at the numbers like he was like fifth or sixth in the hierarchy, not only after A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, but also after Adam Humphreys and Anthony Ferkser and Tajay Sharp when it came to like attempts uh, and third downs and, and especially when it came to conversions, like his conversion rate on third down was like abysmally bad. Right. And so like John o. Smith is not really like that type of guy that you're going to line up and go out there and beat guys, although he is a mismatch guy. Right. But it isn't because like he's this refined route runner. And that was something that Tyler Rowland, the Locked on Titans host, said when he came on the podcast to talk about John o. Smith when we signed him back in March. Like that's not really John o. Smith's game. That's a big reason why he failed in New England, because New England is like this precision timing based offense. And like John o. Smith doesn't fit that. The comparison to use check is similar because use check is not a go to option for the 49ers. Um, in on third downs, right? Like they're not throwing the ball to Kyle Juszczyk. Usually something has gone wrong when Kyle Juszczyk is getting targets on third downs because it usually means, you know, George Kittle or, um, you know, Christian McCaffrey or Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk aren't open. Like he's their fifth option on third downs, right? At, at most, um, you know, but what Kyle Juszczyk does similar to what John o. Smith is expected to do is create those mismatches on early downs. Right. Um, and you know, this is why I sit here and I say things like, you know, I don't think defensive play calling is as meaningful as people it's, it's coaching and play calling on defense is overrated because defenses tend to be predictable. Right. And that's kind of the secret behind the Kyle Shanahan offense, which is he's going to present you run heavy formations that 21 personnel, two running backs with, Kyle Juszczyk being that uh, second running back at the fullback position, and that forces defenses to play base defense. So when defenses see 21 personnel, uh, two uh, two tight end sets or 12 personnel, 13 personnel, three tight end sets, their go-to is to play base defense because those are run formations. Teams 
generally run out of those formations. And Shanahan's secret, and this is similar to Arthur Smith's secret, is he's going to present that and then he's going to throw out of it. And you're going to he's going to get a mismatch because you're going to put, you know, a linebacker, a slow, you know, strong side linebacker. You're going to put, you know, not Steven Nicholas today, but, you know, like back in the day, certainly, uh, you know, you would put a Steven Nicholas on a Kyle Juszczyk and he would just roast that guy. And it's a similar thing. You can create some mismatches there when you get him against, you know, a slow linebacker or whatever the case may be. And, you know, that was Arthur Smith's secret as well last year. There's a reason why the Falcons were top three in EPA or expected points added on first and second down during the 13 games that Marcus Mariota started, right? And that wasn't because Marcus Mariota was this super efficient and reliable passer on early downs it was because their personnel dictated mismatches and the falcons did a good job in that run heavy personnel whether that was 21 12 13 you know utilizing the play action and gashing teams on the intermediate levels right and you know this is part of the ongoing you know arms race between defenses and offenses in the league and this is why teams are because of the ways that the Falcons and 49ers attack teams, you know, you're seeing more teams go to these split safety looks, which is taking that extra safety, taking him out of the box that typically, you know, in the back for most of the decade would play in the box when teams would play cover three on early downs and they're moving him back so that he can better defend against those intermediate crossing routes that you like to run on play action passes. Um, and so the Falcons, the way that they're zigging and a lot of other teams in the league are zigging is okay. You're going to take that safety out of the box to defend the run. Well, we're just going to run the ball down your throat, but that's a whole conversation for a separate day. But the point is that having these three tight ends that you can now transition and move this guy in the backfield, move this guy around the formation. And, and suddenly you're in 13 personnel, but you present as 22 personnel, uh, which is two, two running backs or a running back, a fullback and two tight ends, you know, from, you know, by moving Parker Hesse into the backfield or something uh, as a lead blocker or moving John o. Smith into the backfield and, and create mismatches against a, a, a slow footed linebacker or whatever, you know, those are things that are going to be things that Arthur Smith is going to really utilize. And I think this is going to be a well-used to well-used, well-used, tool in Arthur Smith's toolbox. So that is something I'm looking forward to. I'm also excited to see what the other tight ends can do, uh, particularly with John Fitzpatrick, you know, now that he's going to be healthy this year, last year was kind of a red shirt year for him coming off that injury, that toe or foot injury that he had that basically prevented him from really doing anything in the preseason and training camp. So I'm eager to see what he does because he can be, you know, kind of a, a I won't say a poor man's Parker Hesse because yeah, I guess poor man's Parker Hesse because, like, I don't think he's going to be as good as Parker Hesse right now, but I think he can develop into a second version of that. And because he probably brings a little bit more athleticism and size and and all these things that maybe he has a little bit more potency as a pass catcher if that can be developed. I'm also, you know, that crazy person that's also looking to see what Felipe Franks can do in his second full season as a tight end making this transition. And I know there's a lot of Falcon fans that are like, I still don't understand why Felipe Frank still has a job because you don't understand the Falcons mission because basically what they're trying to do, and it's certainly debatable whether or not they will succeed in doing this, but they're trying to basically make Felipe Franks into like a six, six version of Johnu Smith. And that's going to create even more mismatches and allow them to play that style of football. So he's kind of their long-term project in that role, a player that they can either stash on the practice squad and back into the roster and hopefully develop into that player. That's the vision for Felipe Franks. We'll see if he gets there. Who knows? It, you know, if he does get there, it's probably not going to be necessarily this year, but you're hoping to see, you know, 
gains uh, in that regard. Um, so we'll see what those guys can do. But I think the tight end position is going to be a big part of this offense. And, you know, if we can get Pitts putting his best foot forward, John o. Smith getting back to what he was in Tennessee in the Arthur Smith offense and Parker Hesse just doing Parker Hesse things, you know, this tight end group is going to be a big part of how this Falcons offense presents itself in addition to the running backs. You know, we made a lot of hype uh, over the last couple of weeks being locked on Bijan talking about how great this running back room is with Algier and Patterson and Bijan and the versatility that those guys have. But I think the tight end group is also an underrated aspect of this positionless football and the versatility and the flexibility and being an integral part of this 2023 Falcons offense. So a lot of things to be excited about at this tight end position, a lot of ways that, how this tight end room goes is going to reflect, I think, how this team is going to go, especially that connection between uh, Pitts and Ritter. And if those two guys are, you know, putting their best foot forward, best feet forward, whatever that statement is, <laughs> pluralize, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of great things, I think, from this Falcons offense. And certainly I think Jonu Smith and, and Parker Hesse will sort of slot in where they can slot in and be sort of complementary pieces to that sort of big picture. But we know that, you know, Pitts and, and London and Bijan and Algier, these guys are going to be like the core foundation of this offense. But all these other pieces are going to be very nice complementary pieces uh, around that core. So we'll just sort of have to see how that goes, guys. But uh, tomorrow we'll be back for more OTA talk and we'll see, you know, maybe I'll, I'll wind up doing a, a full summary on sort of what my general thoughts and expectations are for Desmond Ritter. You know, I, I think there'll be highs and lows, but we'll, we'll save that potentially for tomorrow. Also an opportunity for you guys to ask questions, uh, whether they Desmond Ritter related or other questions related or unrelated to the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, uh, all the places that you can hit me up are, you know, just search for Locked on Falcons on your favorite platform, Facebook. Twitter, you know, the Discord link in the description below, YouTube comments, of course. And of course, you can send an email to lockdownfalcons at mail.com. So, guys, really appreciate you tuning in for another listen here on the Lockdown Falcons podcast. Go check out the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast. They're doing their summer scouting. So, if you're invested in, you know, who those next stars that will be plugged and played on the Falcons offense or defense, of course, Damian Parson and Keith Sanchez of the Lockdown NFL Draft podcast have you covered. It's all part of Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.